Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 465. It's titled, Transforming Financial Regrets into Portfolio Gains, Five Strategies for Navigating Investment Emotions. On Money for the Rest of Us Plus, our premium membership community, we recently had a discussion on our member forums regarding regret. The member wrote that he appreciated the time that we spend on Money for the Rest of Us on figuring out how to better manage our emotions as investors. This member said that regret, he feels, is one of his weaknesses. He wrote here he regretted following his broker down the dot-com path in the year 2000, suffering a major loss. Regrets not buying a rental property instead of losing that money when the internet bubble blew up. Many of us lost money when the internet bubble blew up. The regret, though, that's particularly bugging this member currently is that back in October, when he saw that 30-year treasury bonds, the yields exceeded 5% for the first time really since 2007, he sold a lot of bonds in his portfolio and invested in BLV, the Vanguard Long-Term Bond ETF. He's made about 16% on that. But what's bugging him is he also considered buying the Vanguard Extended Duration Treasury ETF that has a longer duration interest rate sensitivity. It's returned over 20% in that time frame, and it's bugging him. He felt that this opportunity was a fat pitch and that he didn't swing for a home run in this case. We'll take a closer look at whether that was a fat pitch or not, but this is just one example of regret. And I'll share some examples of regrets that, that I have had in investing. But in order to better manage regret, we first have to recognize that we are wired as humans to feel regret. It can't be avoided. There are cognitive biases that we have that feed our regret. Much of this is work by Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, Richard Thaler, that studied behavioral economics, behavioral finance, decision theory, really identified many of these biases. Foremost is loss aversion. We feel the pain of losses more than we feel pleasure from the equivalent gain. Losing $100,000 feels way worse than getting or winning or earning $100,000. Feels great. A negative review of my book or the podcast feels way worse. And I remember it way more than I do a positive review. By that token, when we miss out on a gain, so a regret in this case of not investing in something versus having investing in something and lost money, the feeling of not investing in something and it went up, that actually feels like losing. It can feel worse than the actual gain if we did invest in something, such as the example this member gave. Made 16% on the one investment, but he could have made over 20%. And knowing that, that discomfort feels worse than the pleasure from the 16% gain. So that's loss aversion. The other cognitive bias we have is hindsight bias. Feeling like the event, what happened was predictable, that we should have known, that we did know but didn't act. That's not true in most cases. It's really easy to connect the dots going backwards. Makes it seem like oh, it was all so predictable. But there are many pathways the future could have taken. 
It's just easier to figure out which way it actually came because we're looking back. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from one of this week's sponsors, NetSuite. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams are buried in manual work, and it's taking forever to close the books. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down cost. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. I know in our business, we've seen how important it is to have the key information to make better decisions. And NetSuite can help you do that. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com david. So how do we manage regret to make better decisions? Well, the first is we want to minimize our maximum regret, something we've discussed a number of times on the show. We want to avoid ruin, including retirement ruin. This comes from a framework by behavioral economist Leonard Jimmy Savage. It was what he described as mini-max regret, which is a, an approach to decision-making. The idea is to, is to minimize the worst-case scenarios that we can avoid by taking preventive action. The worst regret is the regret of doing something that completely ruined us. To make an investment decision that was so egregious that we put it all on the line, speculating with our retirement nest egg in, in one investment, say cryptocurrency, or something where we just can't recover from. The phrase, go big or go home, has always bugged me because it doesn't take into account what are you going to do after you lost big and go back home and have nothing. We can go big if we have a reserve and a buffer in case things don't work out. We need the ability to recover because we don't want these catastrophic outcomes to impact ourselves and our family. It's why at my core, I'm incredibly risk averse. If you look at my portfolio, which I share on Money for the Rest of Plus, I'm a conservative investor because I don't have time to recover from major market losses at this point in my life. I want to minimize my maximum regret when it comes to investing. But that doesn't mean that I still don't feel regret, as we all do. And so once we've taken actions, we have buffers, we purchase insurance, we don't take excessive risk, we perhaps take actions for a safety-first retirement, and an annuity, or big decisions that we make to make sure that we're not ruined financially by what happens. Once we do that, then we have all these small regrets that bug us. LaPro and I, even before I considered doing this episode, we were discussing this a few weeks ago. In 2019, we sold a mid-century modern home that we thought was our forever home. It's in Idaho Falls, beautiful house, loved being there, had really great memories, beautiful pizza oven in back, loved our neighbors. But then we had bought a house in Phoenix, 
So then we had three houses, one in Phoenix for the winter. We had our cabin in the summer, and then we had this house in Idaho Falls. And when we would, we'd go back, the, the road near us was getting busier and busier. It sounded like a highway, five lanes. It seemed wasteful to have so many houses. We had some issues with the furnace. It was a super big yard. We wanted to simplify. We decided to sell it. But LaPrell wasn't quite ready to give up a house in Idaho Falls. She had family there. We, we liked the community. And so we, we sold that mid-century house and then bought a small house near the river, just south of downtown. It was a project house. It was something to work on, remodel. Pandemic came. We sheltered there for a time. But then we sold that house in the summer of 2020 for a slight profit. We made a profit on our mid-century modern house that we sold. Now here we are, three and a half years later, approaching four years, and we have regret. I wish we hadn't sold that small house in Idaho Falls. The prices have skyrocketed. It would be nice to have that as a rental or just a place in Idaho Falls because our cabin is pretty remote. And sometimes it's nice to get back into the city. The pro has regret that we, we sold that mid-century modern house, that we bought the house in Phoenix. All these regrets. So what do we do? Well, the first thing is to have perspective. And we did this. Remind ourselves why we made the decision and what happened because we made that decision. If we hadn't sold those two houses, we would not have had the capital to purchase our home in Tucson because at the time we bought that home later in the fall of 2020, much more competitive market. You basically needed to do all cash offers in order to get a house. And if we hadn't sold those houses, we wouldn't have had the cash to do that. We keep perspective, remind ourselves that, that we did simplify, and there are benefits to, to simplification. We remind ourselves of the things that we didn't like about that house, the smaller house, the, the fact that we redid the wood floors, painted them white, and then it would attract all, it wasn't done right, and attract all this lint. So we were having to clean these white floors all the time that the house still needed a lot of work, that we had difficult finding contractors at that time. But there's all these things that you sort of, sometimes we don't remember some of the other things that we didn't like about something and only regret missing out because we made a choice. And so broadening out our perspective, remembering what we did and why, as an, a professional investor, back when I managed assets every quarter, I wrote a quarterly market update for our clients, and I kept notes of what I was thinking at, at any point in time, and I've continued to do that with money for the rest of us for the, every month for pretty much the past 10 years. I've written an investment conditions and strategy report. I document my portfolio trades. When we make a change to the model portfolio examples, we document it. So we know what we were thinking at the time and know what our decision process was. What were the reasons we made that decision? And, and looking back can help us manage that regret. Second thing we can do is consider what do we learn? One of the members in, the, in this forum post on regret, one of the phrases that he learned in jiu-jitsu is you either win or you learn, and both ways you win. And so when we think about regret, either making a decision that didn't work out and feeling bad, or not making a decision and feeling like we missed out on gains, we can think about what we learned. In the situation with these houses in Idaho Falls, LaPro and I were reminded of a concept that we talk about frequently, and I've discussed on the show, Uwe. Uwe, is a, it comes from the Tao Te Ching, Taoism, ancient Chinese philosophy. It basically means action through inaction, 
But it isn't so much that we don't take actions. It's more be patient with their actions. Wait for the right time. Don't force things. We should have waited a while before deciding to, to sell that house. We made the decision too quick. Within a month, let's sell it. Maybe it was two months. We should have taken our time. I was reminded of this when we were traveling in Mexico over the break. We were in Ispujil near the Belize border. And this town, they're building the, the Mayan train all around the Yucatan Peninsula. And this town was really busy. They were, they were doing all type of construction work. So there's a lot of workers there. And there were roads closed because they were tearing up, putting in sewers. And I just was trying to get to an ATM. There was, this was the second ATM. The first ATM I went to, our card didn't work. Second ATM, I just needed to get close. And I tried for probably 10 minutes to find a way to get over to where this ATM was because of the one-way streets, the closures, all these peoples. And finally, I, I just decided, it's okay. I'm not going to the ATM today. It's all right. Just wait for the right time. And the next day, as we were traveling, and I was worried about running out of money, running out of cash. It's something that has happened in the past when I've traveled. So I, I have this maybe obsessive fear of not having cash and not being able to find an ATM, having been stranded in Japan at one point because of that. But we found an ATM the next day, and it worked out by just being patient and that's what we learned from this situation with these houses in Idaho Falls. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Investing in private market opportunities is challenging. Done right, they offer the potential for exceptional gains. Done wrong, they present much greater risk of loss. The difference between success and failure in private markets comes down to expertise and access. Long Angle is a private community of 2,500 very high net worth investors who leverage their collective expertise and scale to access and underwrite some of the world's best alternative asset investments. After reviewing hundreds of opportunities, Long Angle Diligent Deal Teams greenlight a dozen deals each year. Asset classes range from private equity, search funds, and private credit to secondaries, real estate, and venture. Long Angle is a community of investors, not a wealth manager. Members make their own investment decisions on a deal-by-deal -deal basis. Members are treated as partners on every investment with full transparency to investment team due diligence and underwriting. All members receive equal access to negotiated fee discounts powered by the community's $30 billion in collective assets. Membership is free, but requires an interview with a current community member as well as validation of investable assets. Learn more at longangle.com. That's L-O-N-G-A-N-G-L-E.com longangle.com. The third thing we can do to help manage our regret is to remind ourselves that what happened was only one path. There are alternative things that could have happened. And we'll use the, the example of buying these long duration bond ETFs. Again, we suffer from hindsight bias. Looking backward, it looks inevitable that interest rates, in this case, are going to fall. 30-year Treasury hadn't exceeded 5% since 2007. But we, I have documentation. I know what I was thinking in September and October 2023 because we did podcast on it. Episode 448, where are interest rates headed next? At the time, the 10-year Treasury was 4.35% and the 30-year Treasury was 4.4%. I said, so when we step back and think about where are interest rates going, if we get more ideas, 
greater productivity, faster economic growth with plenty of jobs, that can lead to potentially higher real rates of interest, a higher neutral rate of interest, but modest levels of inflation because there isn't the capacity constraints because we're kind of at that equilibrium. So there was a path for real rates to go up and nominal rates to go up. One path that could have happened. I continued, if, however, there are fewer new ideas, population shrinkage, lower productivity, slower economic growth, that would lead to lower real rates. Except because of the high national debt burden, the huge supply of debt that needs to be refinanced, that could push rates in the opposite direction. Talk about uncertainty. I wasn't confident that interest rates were going to fall in the fall of 2023. And we've discussed in several follow-up episodes what determines interest rates. I didn't know how the term premium, which had just gotten positive in September into October, it could have widened even more, 2 to 3%, if market participants suddenly decided to freak out about the national debt because markets are driven by stories. And if the national debt suddenly becomes the concern, the credibility of the central bank, interest rates could rise meaningfully from where they are today or where they were back then. So that was in September. What I did say is what we know where rates were then. We knew the market temperature and we knew we could lock in yields back in September. But then in October, October 25th, 2023, I released episode 453 on the price of money. By then, the 30-year treasury was up to 5.09% and the 10-year at 4.95%. In discussing what could keep interest rates higher, I said one of the uncertainties is how much capital will be needed for investing, for capital projects, for example, AI or for geopolitics, spending on military. Given the military conflicts around the world, will governments feel like they need to boost their military spending and borrow the money to do that? That could put upward pressure on interest rates. The desire to reshore, to take factories that were overseas and move that manufacturing onshore. That takes investments in new factories, investments in green energy, the energy transition, battery technology. There's all these things out there that could drive more borrowing, more demand to borrow money, could push up the real rate of interest. Now, in February 2024, we have the 10-year treasury at 4.15% and the 30-year at 4.35%, about where they were in September 2023, but lower than they were in October 2023. This member should pat himself on the back for capturing this gain, this 16% gain for locking in that rate. Others would have locked in by buying chips at that time, like I did, and they're up. There's always something else we could have done to make more money. There will always be an investment that we missed out on. So the third thing is to recognize this is just one path it took. It could have gone the other way. Rates could have gone up even further from October 2023. For most of the time, from the late 1970s up until 2007, 30-year Treasury bond yields were over 5%, often over 8%, even into the mid-90s. We could have gone that route. The term premium could have stayed positive and gotten even higher. It didn't. Rates fell some. Not much. If you bought 30-year treasuries this year, beginning of the year, those Vanguard funds are down 4 to 7% year to date. And that gets to something we'll talk about here in a moment, signal versus noise. But the fourth thing we can do to help manage regret is to reduce the scale, to think about, well, how much would we have actually committed to that investment? idea that we missed out on. How long would we have stayed in? One of our our members in the forum discussed Bitcoin. He was an early adopter of Bitcoin. 
and subsequently traded his way out of it. Thinks about, feels regret for, well, what might have happened had I stayed in? But recognized he probably would have sold it before it increased much. I sometimes feel regret about my Bitcoin choices. I was trying to buy Bitcoin at $40 per coin in 2012, but I didn't trust it enough to go through with it. I had trouble getting money into Mt. Gox, which was the primary exchange at the time. And I tried for several weeks and I just, I didn't trust it. And I didn't, I didn't go through with it. It wasn't until three years later that I bought Bitcoin in April, 2015, the same time we did an episode, episode 53. I was buying at $200 per coin. So five times higher than it would have done in 2012. But I wasn't confident enough to invest big sums. And I sold most of it nine months later in January 2016. As much as I could, I could only sell $3,000 a week. So I sold $3,000 of Bitcoin, which would be worth over $300,000 today. What could we have done with that money? But would I have kept it? Would I have sold later? I eventually bought more Bitcoin back in 2017 and have sold occasionally when Bitcoin has gotten up. But I, I recognize I'm not comfortable having more than 6 to 7% in cryptocurrency. And when it gets above that, then I sell. And so I would never be a, a, a crypto multimillionaire because I don't have the temperament to hold on. And so we have to think about reducing scale. When I've discussed going to trading academies, where you have these teachers boasting about their trading prowess, but they never tell you how much money they're trading. It's way easier to trade small sums than it is to trade large sums. Our emotions are impacted more by large sums. So when we talk about reducing the scale, think about, yeah, I missed out, but would it have been life-changing? Would I have had the emotional temperament to hold on through the ups and downs? Reducing the scale and realizing that, no, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do that can help us feel less regret. A fifth thing we can do is separate the signal from the noise. Financial markets are very random, especially in the short term. There can be an, an intrinsic value of an asset, let's say a stock, based on the value today of future cash flows, but that price is moving all over the place. We've had interest rates now are where they were back in September, but lower than they were in October. It's just noise. Perceptions have changed in terms of how quickly the central bank, Federal Reserve, will lower interest rates. That's influenced rates, as has inflation expectations, the term premium. We can't feel regret about moves over a three-month period of time. We're long-term investors. What we should care about is the underlying drivers of return, the cash flow by buying long-duration bonds and holding them for years. Because in the short term, it, it could have gone either way. But over the long term, that cash flow can compound, which is why we've spent two episodes talking about ways to lock in higher yields so we don't have to worry about the day-to-day movement of interest rates that we've locked in that cash flow, which can compound. Over the break, I mentioned I read Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He recognizes that he's emotional and that there are things we need to do to control our emotions. That it isn't enough, he said, it ticks him off when people lecture him about improving their behavior. He mentions that every smoker knows that cigarettes cause lung cancer. It, it doesn't have an impact to lecture somebody because we're emotional. We have to do other things. One of the things that he pointed out was 
because of loss aversion, that losses feel worse than how good we feel with the comparable gain. And because of the noise of markets, if we're looking at a portfolio on a daily basis, just the sheer noise and randomness, we'll be exposed to gains and losses on a day-to-day basis, but the losses will make us feel worse than the gains make us feel good. And that, that constant exposure to those negative hits from losses, that's just noise. Random movements could lead us to make poor decisions, to get out. I can't stand the pain. That's one reason I stopped trading futures back in 2012, the same time I was trying to buy Bitcoin. They were so volatile that I I couldn't control my emotions around them. What Talib does is he only looks at his portfolio if a particular trade hits a certain threshold. It's got to hit a a dollar threshold to where he can feel more confident that the movement is due to some type of signal, not random noise. And that helps him control his emotion. The same way he says he doesn't put chocolate under his desk because it's just sitting there and you're thinking about eating it. So we have to put controls in place oftentimes to help make better investment decisions better life decisions, and better manage our regret. And in his case, he has certain thresholds. In mine, I only look at my portfolio once a month. And I look at it because I compile it as part of what I share money for the rest of us plus. So once a month, I'll look at what happened. Where are we today? What is the market temperature? Should I make any changes? But once a month, and that keeps me from looking at it during the month and perhaps making rash decisions. So that's what we can do in managing regrets. For the big regrets, we manage them by minimizing things that can ruin us, the maximum regret. Take precautions to do that. And that leaves us then to manage the, the smaller regrets, which we are unavoidable. We're just going to feel them. And so when we feel a regret, we kind of walk through and put it into perspective, remind ourselves of our decision-making process and what happened and why it happened. We can think about what, what, what did we learn from the process? We can remember that what happened was only one path, that there are alternative histories that could have happened where it might have been completely different. Fourth thing we can do is reduce the scale. Recognize that, yeah, I missed out on that, but the reality is I probably wouldn't have put much money in it because I wanted to avoid ruin, minimize my maximum regret. So yeah, I feel bad, but it would not have been life-changing because I either would have sold the successful investment, so it didn't get to be a big portion of my net worth. And so reduce the scale, realize, yeah, it feels bad, but we, we never would have put that much in. We would have gotten out before we became too big a part of our portfolio. And then the fifth thing we do is just separate the signal from the noise by avoiding much of the noise by not being in the markets day by day. And if you are, put thresholds in place or something to keep you from being constantly exposed to randomness on the downside and the upside, recognizing that downside randomness can lead us to feel worse than the upside. And so by not looking at a portfolio as frequently, we're not as exposed to that noise. And then we can focus on the signals, the long-term drivers of return. And that's why we spend so much time on Money for the Rest of Us and Asset Camp teaching these long-term drivers, showing people the impact of dividends and earnings growth on stocks and setting realistic expectations for this compounding that can help us grow our wealth over time. So those are ways to manage regret. We're going to feel it. We just have to manage it. That's episode 
465. Thanks for listening. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.